When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Welcome to the May 10th edition of Rewind a Raw. Five ten twenty one. Hello, way. Any any significance to the date? None. Okay. Well, it's nice to be here. May tenth. Yes. Mm-hmm. How are you? Doing fine. Yeah, nothing nothing that unusual today to report. Well, that's good to hear. Happy little... belated Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes, to all the mothers listening out there. Uh, and if you're not a mother, uh, you can wish your mother or anyone else's mother a happy yeah. belated Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Or maybe an early happy Father's Day. Very early. Not that early. I mean, we're, you know, you got a, a, just over a month lead up time. Ne- never a bad time to say, hey, you're a wonderful parent. Never. No, no, never. So, uh, wait, is this going to be a video or a photo? This edition of Rewind to Raw. <laughs> I believe it will be a video, but if you um, ask my dad to shoot it, it it could be either. It'd be a gamble. I feel this has been uh, a, a repeat offense by by your dad. I believe you have you have shared stories of the past of the photo video uh, discrepancy. I think it's probably a regular habit of any person older than you know sixty. Who's ever tried to use a, a cell phone? Um, so yeah, my what John's referring to is uh, I just posted yesterday a video of my dad um, trying to take a photo, and this was like probably like the fifth or sixth attempt. I get home and I realize, oh, okay, these are all videos <laughs> and not photos. I I promise my dad would never have gotten as far as your dad if I had given him my phone and asked him to take a picture or a video. Well, I had set it up for him. But the thing is, my dad was like, he, I guess, kind of fancies himself as like, oh, some sort of great amateur photographer. He was like, sit in this light, get in this light, get here, get in this angle, get this in the background. He does all this work. And then I go home and realize, oh, these are all videos. <laughs> oh, it wasn't even an instant uh, realization. No. Oh, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. When my When we first got the internet, this would have been the late 90s. My dad set up an email for himself. And when it came to composing an email, he thought he could just talk to the screen and it would yeah. just somehow deliver this email to him. So he'd be like talking to the screen. <laughs> I remember the story. And I don't know if at the time I said it, I probably did, but uh, he is definitely far advanced from <laughs> the time that he, he's about 10 years ahead. He was more than that. I mean, in 1999, before Siri was even a thing, uh, he yeah. was he was very much on top of the future of uh, AI. A futurist, Mr. Pollock. Definitely. So, so does he know how to type now? Like, can he do voice to text now? He, <laughs> when he does email me or anyone of like our immediate family, <laughs> he cc's everyone in the family. So it's like even if it's just wow. like. He just copies everyone and and then he'll like use the the subject line like that's the starting point is the subject line and then it just continues in the body of the message. 
So you got to follow along. Like he's using all available real estate in this email. I mean, why not? I suppose, you know, you got to let everybody know. Do you have like a family group chat? No. no oh, you don't. No. Okay. It's, I, thought, it's, I thought a lot of people had those. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got, chat, we chat as a group, but not, uh, we do not have a group chat. No. Right. Okay. There's no Pollock group chat out there. Nope. There is a Pollock uh, Facebook group that I got mm. recruited to years and years ago where somebody started a Facebook group. This is when Facebook groups were more of a thing than they are now. This is 10 years ago. And they added me and it's just someone found every person with the last name Pollock and put them into a Facebook group. I know. Yeah, you would. I feel like you'd, I've heard this story before. Oh, man. Too, am I just but... going through all the greatest hits right now? <laughs> Jesus, I'm out of stories then. I'm done. I'm done. We I don't pretty any... much know everything about each other. I have and nothing I new. Our, I have nothing our new. Our audience share. knows pretty much everything about our, our, ourselves at this point, 10 years in. Well, on that note, uh, let us move on. Unless there's anything else you would like to share. Nothing. You say that as if, like, I would have something to share. What, what would I have possibly? I, I'm not. Inf- I'm not inferring anything. I was just more so leaving the door open. If you wanted to sneak any other story in before we we move on to the the hard hitting stuff, I really can't think of anything. If there is, maybe I'll interrupt the show. I'll let you know. Well, wait. What is going on this weekend on the Post Wrestling Cafe? What What is on the menu in the Post Wrestling Cafe? First of all, every Monday, every Wednesday, all the Double Double Plus patrons joining us. Uh, are here live on Zoom, available right after Raw or Dynamite ends for our live Zoom chat. On Fridays, we open it up to all patrons to join us live on Zoom. So thank you all for those who are here tonight in the room right now. But this week, we've got on Friday, it's an edition of Ask Away. Uh, It's been a while since we've done one of these. So get your questions in. The cutoff for uh, throwing questions into the mailbag is Tuesday. Tuesday, I'll say at about noon. Okay, noon Eastern time. So get your questions in there. We'll be answering a ton of questions about anything and everything. Friday morning on Ask Away. Friday evening, it's me and the return of Kate from Montreal talking about the final SmackDown before WrestleMania backlash. Ooh, it's the final SmackDown. Oh, very good. Exciting stuff. I bet you, uh, as as are most of the weeks when uh when it's a UFC and I'm not on SmackDown, I feel Kate is probably going to have the superior show to review of the two. Um, compared to UFC, you mean? Uh, no, compared to Raw. Yeah, uh, there's a good chance of that. Yeah, not to show off my hand tonight. Maybe maybe it was a classic tonight. Maybe three hours of brilliance. Uh, you will have to wait for the review. Uh, that is all coming up. Uh, some highlights this weekend. Of course, I mentioned the UFC 262 post-show. Phil and I will be live right after the UFC card. And then Double Double Plus patrons will get Way and I live Sunday night, an extra night of the week after WrestleMania Backlash. Mm-hmm. It's the reaction of the Backlash to WrestleMania. The Backlash to Backlash. Yeah. Cannot wait. So all of that can be found. Uh, postwrestling.com. We've got the schedule up. We've also... Got a few interviews this week, one of which will be with Sean Waltman uh, that we should have up on Tuesday early evening. So look out for that, where we will be uh, chatting with Sean Waltman about his podcast, Pro Wrestling for Life. And we'll be talking about the career of one Sean Waltman, X-Pac, Six, the One Two Three Kid, the Lightning Kid. Many a name, all of those. but on Tuesday, you know, he's I, just Sean Waltman. Yeah, I was on an old message board once, and I was like one of the only 
X-Pac defenders in the group. So it kind of became like gimmick on the message board. And uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, please don't mention that in the interview. But um, yeah, the, like I, I've, I've always been a Waltman fan. And again, anytime we go back to one of these Rwanda ways, he his stuff always holds up. It does. I think he was someone that was uh, certainly maligned at a period where he had gone further with the X-Pac character. But I think when you go back and assess, and certainly to the younger generation now, I think that he is someone that uh, it holds up extremely well. And and I think that that certainly is, you know, you look at this current crop of guys, I think that, you know, Sean Waltman is someone that is held in pretty high esteem. Well, I know this is not going to be a very long interview. I don't know. I don't think you're, you're allotted that much time. But will you bring up the X Factor, specifically the theme song? Are we allowed to play the X Factor theme song? That would be your question. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we can call Mr. Cracker himself and try to clear those rights. Okay. We we might have to work that in. I mean, the guy has got, I, I mean, how many times has Sean Waltman been inducted now into the WWE Hall of Fame? He's gone in with the NWO, Twice. gone in with DX. Yeah. I think there's a third entry that could be <laughs> the ultimate culmination. I mean, with Matt Bloom, <laughs> Pete Polacco, and Sean Waltman. We need, you know, if there's a, if there's a, cha- I, I feel like they'll probably want, um, what's his name? Matt Bloom in there. You know, he, he works for them. They probably want Matt, like Albert inducted. And he hasn't I, even gone in once yet. I mean, he's got Prince Albert. He's got Tensai. Yeah. Um, they'll probably have him in there. And I think, um, his best chance might be the X factor. We can only hope. So that is coming up, uh, later this week. Uh, check that out. And, uh, and Thursday. Oh, I, I won't. I won't say it. We'll uh, maybe another interview coming this week. Ooh, surprise. check all, all of that. No, it's uh, it, it'll be an interesting one. I I believe it will happen. So uh, actually, I'm very confident it will happen. But you know, leave them wanting a little more. We we promoted enough. Let's move on to some news items, and we're going to start off with the success of Throwback SmackDown, Mister Ting. You know, we looked at. What happened on, or at least the promotion going into this? And, you know, it seemed like an interesting gimmick, but nonetheless, not like a gigantic Raw reunion style of promotion. But this definitely yielded results. They did 2,282,000 viewers and a 0.65 in the 18 to 49 demo. So uh, they were up 13% week to week in viewers and a 32.7% jump in the key demo. They were the number one show on television Friday night in the 18 to 49 and 18 to 34 demos and um, ahead of their April average. It wasn't just a week to week increase. So this was a concept that I think you have to be number one, very happy for in the sense that we know that these nostalgia shows typically work for the company, but this was one where the investment was some graphics, some wardrobe and Teddy Long. I believe if they had a bit more maybe warning, a bit more time to plan, I think, and and maybe the addition of crowds, I think the WWE would have put as much effort into this throwdown episode as they would have, you know, the raw throwbacks. Um, But I think it's definitely maybe um, a sign that any sort of, to me, branded show, anything out of the norm from your typical edition of SmackDown, to me, would garner a whole lot more interest. And if there's any good sign coming out of this, it's that I really hope that they continue to do more of this. We see AEW, we see NXT do it all the time. 
brand your t- special TV TV special something just to have you know give give us something to look forward to. What about fast forward SmackDown, where you do a show that's based in 2050, a, a futuristic SmackDown where everybody's uh, typing with speech. Yeah, Randy Orton's still in trunks. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else would you do? Uh, <laughs> Everything would largely look the same if we twenty years from now. I bet. Um, they also did a very good number in Canada. They were up seventeen and a half percent in viewers. They did two hundred fifty thousand five hundred viewers on Sportsnet three hundred and sixty, and that was going against a Blue Jays game. So this was uh, in both the U.S. and Canada. This uh, this was a SmackDown that certainly uh, it clicked with the audience, and more so than the week prior, where you had the significantly larger match and stipulation with Reigns and Bryan. But hey, people just wanted a throwback. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, we'll see whether or not that number holds up. What do you think? Um, I would, I, they really haven't promoted anything for this Friday beyond like follow up with Reigns and the Usos stuff and kind of building it up. Um, I, I could see it going down slightly. There's, there's not a great variation of SmackDown numbers. I mean, we're talking about largely a, a range of maybe 200 to 250,000 viewers at most. It's a very small fluctuation that you see but this was this was the higher end this was their highest uh, viewership since the end of january um so this this was a show and I, I have to look at the theme as as the large uh factor beyond beyond anything else that was attached to the show it's not like people knew jimmy uso was coming back uh nor do i know if th- that would necessarily be a factor for people all right let's uh continue and we had the announcement that aew is going back on the road in July. They're going to be doing three Dynamite tapings in July, uh, taking place in Miami on July the 7th. Then on the 14th, they're going to Cedar Park, Texas, and then July 21st to Garland, Texas. Uh, They're also going to be announcing additional live events for later in the summer. And with that, they have rescheduled a pair of shows in St. Louis. They're now going to be running November 5th for an AEW TNT television taping. What's notable about this is that it's a Friday night and they're not calling it a dynamite event, just an AEW TNT taping. So that's interesting. And Mm. then they're running New Orleans on Wednesday, January 12th of next year, which is labeled an AEW dynamite event. So some interesting notes there, but they obviously feel that they are willing to now go on the road. And in Florida and Texas, those are the states that are going to be opening up the floodgates to allow all to come and not have any restrictions either. So that will be interesting too of if AEW imposes any restrictions on themselves um, in terms of capacity for any of these venues in the summer. It will be, yeah. Um, You know, because of the fact that they're doing a full capacity show in Jacksonville, something tells me that they'll probably just do whatever the minimum required is of um, the state that they're taking part in. Um, something like this was really inevitable. And again, you know, without really kind of being there for being completely aware of what the situation is with these numbers, it's hard to really kind of make too much of a judgment. I mean, shit, it's like, this has been an ongoing conversation for a long, long time, but circumstances hopefully are very different right now, um, in the U S and at this point, it's like people have made their choice. They have the option to get vaccinated. And, uh, if they have not gotten vaccinated yet, I mean, that's, that's their own decision. Yeah, uh, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's going to be a broken record. This is the trend of where everything's going in, in the U.S., uh, I mean, especially in, in major 
areas that, I mean, this is the direction that's going and, and wrestling is not going to be any different. I mean, you know, you're going to be looking at other companies as well, but this is where AEW uh, feels confident. And it's, I mean, you listen to any, any doctor even, or anybody, any expert, none of them are going to say anything is, is risk-free. It's like everyone is assuming still a level of risk, whether you've gotten one shot, whether you've gotten two shots, it's, there is still risk that is out there. And that's going to be the balancing act of these next few months is how much risk you assume and how comfortable you can make people feel and hopefully uh, avoid any, any spread beyond what's, what's going to be happening. And there, there still will be cases. Well, how long before do you think uh, WWE follows suit? I think they have stated that they would, that they would not be going until, you know, sometime in in the summer or so. So I, I, I think most people are looking at is SummerSlam going to be your next show that you do in front of fans? And would that represent um, the move from the Thunderdome back to touring? I think that mm-hmm. would be kind of the, the target you would be looking at. And and where things are, I mean, uh, like, mm-hmm. hope hopefully we, we don't see um, any you know one step forward, two steps back with any of this. I'm hoping that this is this is this is a good thing that people are able to go out to do these things, and we see the cases go down, and it's going to be you know very much contingent on the vaccination rate. That it's going well in the U.S., but it's it's still a far cry from you know the majority of Americans that are vaccinated at this point. Dark Side of the Ring has confirmed their schedule for the rest of this first half of the season. So this Thursday is Nick Gage. Next week is Collision in Korea. May 27th will be The Ultimate Warrior, which is interesting because that will be four days after A&E's biography on The Ultimate Warrior. So we will get The Ultimate Warrior. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I wonder if this is just where things had been always scheduled, if they're just both happening to occur the same week as each other. Or if there is leaning on this instant comparison that that they want. I do believe that Dark Side of the Ring is going to get more attention for this Ultimate Warrior one because it's going to be the response to the A&E biography that's going to do a way higher viewership. And Ultimate Warrior will, I mean, in theory, be talked about for the days coming out of that A&E bio and sends everyone to Vice TV potentially on Thursday. Like that... That Ultimate Warrior one will be very interesting to see what the viewership is like and if they get a spike because of the A&E connection. Telling you, John, we lost one wrestling war, but these are the real wrestling wars, the The wrestling documentary wars. Yes. Uh, I... I'm 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 willing to bet that if you asked Vice, they'll probably say, oh, this was a coincidence, but I don't know. It'd be a pretty tough coincidence out of a 14-episode run somehow but um i'm looking forward to it i'm look- you know what this actually gives me more interest in seeing the a and e one because i'll be honest i've kind of cooled off on those lately because of dark side of the ring but now having a bit of a basis of comparison between between the two i'll be watching both then june 3rd is grizzly smith and um the entire family with with jake roberts and rock and robin sam houston that's going to be a very dark episode and then june 10th is Tom Billington, the Dynamite Kid. And that will wrap up the first half of the season, and then they come back later in the year uh, with the remaining uh, topics uh, that they will be covering. So uh, of, of the ones remaining, like what b- besides Ultimate Warrior, are there any that um, – is Nick Gage pretty high on your list of 
interesting subjects. Definitely, definitely. A lot of the subjects I really don't know a whole lot about, so um, I'm curious to learn. I think a lot, a lot about a lot of these things. Um, certainly, the Korea episode, the plane ride from hell, is one I'm really looking forward to. Some of these are going to be in the second portion of the season, um, but I'm I'm really into the series now and the way that they present like any topic. So as long as they're putting a show, I'll probably be watching it. Yeah. Um... Man, I talked about with the A&E ones about, you know, Brett and the Montreal. You realize we're going to get double the Montreal because we've got the Shawn Michaels one this weekend. And then Brett is the end of the A&E run. Right. Yeah. I'm hoping since they're on the same series, they don't completely overlap. But you know what? Maybe we get two different perspectives. But we've had both perspectives. Dude, actually. we've had every perspective. We've had well, every perspective. We've had books from every perspective. I think we have to remember, maybe as we're even about to talk about, you know, the Booker T one, is that like these aren't necessarily made for people like you and I. These these A E biographies are made for people who might have not, who might have only like watched Sean maybe throughout the Attitude Era or something, and then never followed wrestling. Certainly, have never read the Observer or watched any of the other documentaries. Provides a very kind of like, you know, uh, a bit more of a. Um, a wider overview of like their careers that might be retread for some of the more hardcore fans. Uh, and just what, uh, before we get to the Booker T doc, uh, just of course, over the weekend, uh, new Japan definitely going through a problem now with, with COVID after they had avoided uh, all these positive cases. We heard of the two last week and then with additional uh, PCR testing, uh, seven additional positives uh, coming out over the weekend. Um, so this is, you know, this this is New Japan running into their first outbreak. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess what you would classify as an outbreak, because I mean, people have tested is, positive before. Is there a specific um, number that we uh, that constitutes a outbreak? I'm not certain, but I would definitely classify this as as one. Um, and yeah, I just I'm really concerned for you know the situation in, in Japan, and hope hopefully everybody is keeping safe out there um i definitely wonder if we'll hear an announcement about the olympics sooner or later because i really can't see it happening that to me is has got to be one of the dominant topics that is circulating throughout the japanese government um and with international officials like it's it's getting down to crunch time where a decision needs to be made and what the confidence level is if you are other countries of what are we subjecting subjecting our athletes to uh, on, on the new Japan front. I, I do want to make, make note that they are being very transparent about this. I do not expect names to be listed, but this is, this is right on their website. They were being very clear of what the situation is. They're not sugarcoating. It's here are the facts. We did additional testing seven people. So, I mean, that I think is to be commended if they are being forthright uh, about this. Sure. So the A&E biography series continued on Sunday night with the focus on Booker T, the two-hour documentary focused a lot on his upbringing. And I thought that that aspect, like the first 40, 45 minutes of this documentary were extremely compelling. I thought among the strongest of any uh, portions of these A&E versions of the WWE documentaries was uh, kind of the path towards pro wrestling and what role it played, but really all of the, the upbringing, losing his father when he was 10 months old, his mother dying at 13, and essentially left an orphan with his sister. And I mean, this was a guy that went through a very hard life and of course ends up in prison after 
all of the the robberies and gets five years and then out on parole after 19 months. And it's pro wrestling that largely gets his life on the right track with a goal, with something to work towards and getting himself out of a life that very much could have been um, a, a much, a much more harmful path for him. Yeah, you know, going into this one, I don't know how excited I was for it. You know, Booker T is certainly a name, but uh, maybe not as big of a yeah, yeah. He's not as big of a name as maybe some of the other people um, that A and E are about the profile. But I think it's also for that reason that I felt this one, you know, could have been more compelling because we haven't had a million documentaries about Booker T. We know his story but we might not know it as much or we haven't had it repeated to us as much as maybe some of the others. So uh, watching it, I totally agree with you. Everything like this man has lived, uh, you know, a really heartbreaking life and has come out of it the other way um, among some of the most well-balanced and successful people in this business. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, things that I wasn't even aware of, I, I didn't even know the, the man had a child. Like when he was 17 years old, 17. Yeah. He's got like a 35 year old son now that he talks about is actually, at least at the time of the, when this interview was conducted was in prison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, that was kind of startling information, but you know, to, to all that stuff, uh, you know, but, but, and then talking about meeting Charmel and then like seeing how, how great he is with his family. Uh, it, it really is like an amazing rags to riches story. How did you feel about the the career coverage that they did? That's where, listen, when you're watching these, I think it becomes very easy for us to pick apart what is left out uh, when it comes to the wrestling aspects. And listen, there you cannot cover everything in a in a guy's career in in the time frame. I would much rather that they focus more on what we got from that first 40 minutes rather than cramming in so much wrestling. I didn't think for a second that TNA would be even a part of this or leaving the WWE. I didn't expect them to touch on the signature pharmacy uh, issue, which for those that are not familiar um, at sports illustrated was the ones who did this uh, investigation in 2007. And it named a lot of, WWE performers that were clients of this online signature pharmacy that led to suspensions. The New York Daily News then did a follow-up and included Booker T's name, which he has been adamant since that he did not purchase anything from signature pharmacy, but was suspended by WWE and ended up several months later requesting his release and leaving. That's where he goes to TNA. Again, I didn't expect that part to be covered, but what everyone was talking about today more so was the omission of everything surrounding WrestleMania 19. And I think that given how, um, how, how much backlash there was to that angle at the time, it, it, yes, today, but also then. This was not something like just in hindsight looked bad. It was poorly received at the time in 2003. You introduced many different elements of race that Booker T encountered throughout his career from the warning that he received from Ox Baker about you're very talented, but you will encounter obstacles throughout your career, not stating it outright, but alluding to his race. They cover the treatment he received from fans when he was in global in Dallas, the hog wild incident, which is the way it comes off in the documentary is almost like, well, we were getting all this great heat. It was disgusting that this was happening in 1996. So to me, when you are showcasing different 
racial elements that they had to encounter throughout their wrestling careers. And then when Booker T had the, I would say the most high profile match of his career, if, if it's not number one, it's among them in his career to completely omit that. And for this gigantic stage for him to be on challenging for the world title at WrestleMania, that the largest company in the world felt that it was in their promotional interest to lean and play the race card and completely ignore it in this documentary, a total cop-out. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It also wasn't something I expected them to cover. Um, again, it's a reminder that this is it's a WWE production. And last week we had, you know, uh, by contrast, I would say a documentary that did focus on a lot of the nastier parts of a person's life. But at no point throughout last week's documentary did I ever felt feel like the finger was being pointed towards the WWE. And this would be a situation that would be not just directly pointed at WWE, but who is in the position of playing that racist character, but a man who is in charge, uh, one of your executives right now in the company. Um, that would have been, I think, a pretty difficult balancing act for them to um, justify and for that reason, I didn't expect them to to cover it. But again, this is what we have to expect from this type of doc, uh, you know production that is being put together by the company. Yeah. Do you hesitate to call it a documentary at this point? Because and listen, I'm not even saying this in a flippant manner. I think that there is a solid percentage of the fan base that doesn't want a warts and all documentary that wants mm -hmm. a feel good WWE release, for lack of a better term. And I, I do think like that is that there were people that were very upset with the portrayal of Randy Savage last week. And I don't think it was necessarily because of whether these allegations were true or not. It was, I think for many that they hold Randy Savage in this pristine status and want that, that fantasy to be maintained of these were, this was a hero of a fan base growing up that want to see the preservation of that hero even though the truth may sometimes force you to have to reconcile that 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 heroism uh, that you attach to some of these people. Now, in this case, um, th this is hardly, this is not any slight on Booker. This is a slight on the company. And uh, in the not too distant past as well, we're only talking about 18 years ago. Um, and there's, there's certainly other things. I mean, certainly we were not going to get an example of uh, Vince McMahon and Booker T at the 2005 Survivor Series, which... Again, I think they did play his other N-word incident, though, from WCW. Did, you're right. You, they did play the Spring Stampede clip um, from 97. But that was more like a slip of the tongue from Booker attributed to Booker as a mistake, not something that points to the poor judgment of the WWE and Vince in particular. Not at all. Um, I, I thought that it was very difficult that we were – like once you've opened the door and we are talking about different elements of racism within the industry – I found it very difficult to go from that and then Hulk Hogan being a prominent talking head in this documentary. Um, mm -hmm. And that brings us to uh, David Dennis Jr., who was the writer and uh, professor that was interviewed in this. And on Sunday night, he had tweeted, so one of the main reasons I was brought in was to talk about WrestleMania 19. I went in about it for a long time, but my ass knew it wasn't making the final cut, so I figured I was going to get cut out from the whole doc. And he later deleted this tweet, but enough people saw this. And uh, Booker T actually did address the WrestleMania 19 omission on his own uh, Hall of Fame podcast. This was transcribed by Fightful. And Booker said, this was on Monday, 
How can it be pulled when it never actually got in? To write that it got pulled makes it seem like there was a whole lot of meat and potatoes on the bone of the Booker T and Triple H uh, story, I guess. I never gave the story a whole lot of credence or given a lot of thought to me losing that match. They talk about the story, and I understand that, but I never looked at my career and framed my career around a single match. I got paid more money for that match than I got paid for any match in my life. I'm not going to complain about that. When people try to make something out of a racial issue between Booker T, Triple H, and WWE, someone is just trying to get some clicks. I just want everyone to know that that was not what my story was about at the end of the day. My story is not about the dark side of WrestleMania 19. For people to want to make it about that, I get it and understand. But for me personally, that's not what my career makeup is about. So, I mean, in that case, it's what are we presenting here? Are we just presenting like a feel-good story that is not going to dive into any uncomfortableness? And maybe that's what a large portion of people want out of these documentaries. I think that once once you're going down that path and it just seems that we're going to talk about the racism from the fan base, we're going to talk about racism in the industry, but WWE, get they don't get to be put under any scrutiny for this. Um, I think in my position... I'm allowed to call that out, and I think that's a very valid criticism. And Booker T even noting this was the match he got paid more money for. So in his career, this was the biggest match of his career from a financial standpoint. That's a major omission to just totally skip over uh, such a prominent part of his career was challenging for that title. Unfortunately, there's nothing at all surprising to me about Booker T's statement there because I've heard enough of Booker T on his podcast, on his interviews, defend countless times anything that goes on that is critical of this company that he is employed by to know that he will stand by this company um, as long as he is under their employee, maybe even outside of his employee. Maybe this is truly how he feels. Um, but we also, to me, it's just another reminder that, to you know, anytime we talk about a WWE production perhaps it's a mistake to think about these as investigative pieces and really just instead they are forms of entertainment that is being commissioned by this company. They are earning money from their, its production. Uh, they are spreading its name out there. There are pieces of PR you might even consider, but in the end it's about making money and it's about entertainment. And I suppose sullying the name and brand image of this company is not conducive to either of those aims. But but you change the goalposts week to week. It's when it's convenient to be uh, to go into those dark investigative topics. As long as it's not about yourself. Yes, exactly. The, exactly. Well, you can use other people's, you know, maybe dark histories for, I don't know, and I I, I hate to call it enter entertainment, but you know, to create a compelling piece of television. Uh, that seems fair game. I mean, it, it, it comes to know it. This is nothing surprising, you know, to any of us who's who have ever like watched a WWE production documentary DVD, you know, anything like that. Um, I guess, you know, it's just a, a reminder that, hey, in the end, somebody has a final edit and there is going to be some say uh, from the people that are being covered about what gets to be said. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's interesting. I, I think this one is just more illuminating because of the fact that an interview subject was brought in to talk about that. So there was at least a decision made by somebody that this was relevant material to cover and a topic we did want to tackle and what the process was, that that's unknown about now, why there, it wasn't even addressed or mentioned. But we got there, plenty of breakdowns of the spin -a rooney That was 
Uh, that was isolated. Dude, we went twice within the documentary. We had Spinaroonie chapters. Well, there's a lot of that. But even like going back to like, you know, talking about like the WCW instance where he uttered the N-word. I mean, if we're talking about what's relevant to a man's career, how relevant was that to the Booker T story? So what kind of argument is that? Yeah, now, versus, yeah, a major, like, to me, it's, I think they are so just averse to any kind of self-analysis that I think they sometimes overthink things versus um, having that ability to look back and give any kind of honest view of what were we trying to achieve with this story? Why did we go this direction? And how would we tackle such a story today? I don't expect that kind of self-reflection, but I think at times it's just it's it's a company that is paranoid at themselves looking in any kind of like look at some of the things that this company has incurred in their history and well, how, look at them how they're standing. They yeah, are absolutely. largely an untouchable company. Well, I mean, this kind of goes to perhaps like a, a bigger discussion about the philosophy of professional wrestling itself in that it is there to create illusion, to try to make somebody look perhaps uh, an exaggerated form or better in, in many cases than what reality exists, right? Like going back to like WrestleMania this year, deciding to clean up some of the best parts, in my opinion, of the production, the improvised, you know, uh, interviews because of that rain delay or... um I guess the Mandy Rose slip. Have we come up to? Have we come to a decision about whether or not that was actually left in there? I mean, the angle seems to be dropped. That we're not mentioning the slip anymore. For Nia Jax yeah, is no longer slipping every week. Anyway, that's a, is a big, bigger discussion. But anyway, are there are there other subjects that are coming up in the A and E series that you feel like might be another indication of like whether or not they'd be censoring themselves? That you'd be curious to see. Um, I mean, with Sean, there's certainly you know. Like, so now. Sean, I'm sure, like, his story is out there. Like, he, he, and they have a redemptive story, you know, because by the end of it, he comes up with, like, the best run of his career, and he's, like, you know, religious, and he's just, like, so much better now. But is there anything that, like, seemingly is unjustifiable that is a WWE decision that you feel like might come up? Well, let me ask you, if you, if you have uh, footage of Sean pilled up on television, are you going to be showing that? Are you going to, like, there? there's some, like... Like that guy was a wreck at times, especially in the later nineties, uh, before he took his break under um, their watch, under their watch. Very much so. Um, I, I'll be curious to like, I'm certainly, they're going to go down that path. Um, will it just be the illusions of, of demons that he was fighting? Or are we going to get into, uh, specifics about how, he, how bad things were getting for him? How deep you go into about, um, when he was supposed to be at WrestleMania in 2001 and showed up in no condition to perform. Um, but again, that's, that would be something that's on Sean, you know, like right. what, what is a bad WWE decision that might come up? Well, I guess at, at times, like what was this guy capable of being um, on the road and being, you know, a weekly character that you were relying upon when this guy was going through a lot of problems um, I, I think they are going to dive into a, a lot of that. I think you have to over over two hours. And to your point, again, it's it's a, a the redemptive stories. They are pretty willing to go into how far someone falls when there's the light at the end of the tunnel. And you know, you you cover a Booker T's early life with the knowledge that 
this was a guy who really it should be applauded of what he was able to do with his life. William Regal would be another example of that as well, that they have these stories of people that hit some very low lows, but were able to get their lives together. Yeah. And and again, like, I think the fact that that we're not getting a Hulk Hogan one is another indicator too, that like they only want to cover the, perhaps the prettier side of, you know, the WWE affiliated stories. Yeah. I think the warrior one, that's going to be the one that is, that will get the most uh, attention because that's one. Again, I would say that if these were 44 minute documentaries, I think they could skirt by skipping a lot more stuff in two hours you are making pretty conscious decisions of significant things to omit, such as a WrestleMania 19 that you could absolutely have dedicated five or six minutes to. Um, and mm-hmm. for an ultimate warrior, if that is a hero piece for two hours um, that doesn't go into a lot of the more unsavory things that that he stated and uh, put out there uh, while he was alive. I mean, that's going to be a very conscious decision. And with Hulk Hogan, I mean, yes, when you look at this lineup of names, his, you would imagine, would be right in there. And I mean, they may feel like we can't do two hours and and avoid this topic. And it's not something we want to tackle. Would you recommend this A&E documentary? I still would because I, again, for like, again, the first 40 minutes I thought were as compelling as any of these A&E documentaries. I thought it was really strong stuff. I enjoyed the musical choices that they used, really giving you a, a sense of the time period and where he was was coming up. and. And as well, like uh, towards the end, like the scenes at home with his family are just heartwarming with his two twins and with Charmel. This is a guy that has a a tremendous family life and seems to be living uh, a fantastic life. Um, But I think with the wrestling, I I think there's a lot – there's criticism you can have that at the end of the day, you're not going to expect out of these documentaries. But then there's others that um, to me – the WrestleMania 19 stuff like that to me is a standard you have to you have to acknowledge in some form or fashion because you were fine to go into it in certain elements. But when it came to the WWE in under that spotlight, it was completely avoided. I'd probably recommend the first hour. And, you know, if you have any sort of like um, if you really want to relive the career of Booker T, like the second portion really just kind of goes by, you know, uh, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And by the way, the Spinner <laughs> Rooney was really popular. And then, you know, he became King Booker and the end. Um, so you might enjoy that. You might not. I, I'll tell you, you know, it really did kind of illuminate how much personality this guy had in while he when he specifically after the invasion. Like when he really kind of found himself with the gold dust thing, then, you know, compared to his entire run in WCW or even during the invasion before, uh, it, it just to me, like it really stood out to me how funny he was, especially as King Booker, of course. The the part where they try and recap what was trying to be achieved at the Bash at the Beach event in 2000. Yeah, I'm watching this and thinking. <laughs> If you are not a fan of this industry, if you do not follow <laughs> wrestling, you have to have the lowest opinion because it sounded absolutely ludicrous and just so stupid. <laughs> or you might have thought it was the coolest thing ever. I doubt it. Oh, they broke the script. It was so They lame. said this. They called it the script on a wrestling show. Which, I mean, this, the story, like what was to happen was this idea that we would come up with a scenario where you'd have two people with claims to the championship in Hogan and Booker coming out of that night. And naturally it's Hogan comes back and 
what happened was when Vince Russo went out and did that promo, that's where he just went off the rails. And that was what led to Hulk Hogan legitimately filing a lawsuit over it and never comes back to WCW. But that was very much the intention when that whole the, the laydown angle, which was the second time within a year that Russo had booked that that finish. They did the Hogan sting deal not too many months before that. It was pretty tired the first time, much less a second time. But that was how many laydown angles has Hogan been in? Well, the two. He did the two with... What about the with, finger poke? Uh, uh, okay, yeah. If you want to count that, that would be three. Just me- memorable moments <laughs> in WCW history that really stand the test of time. Um, but that was that. Do you believe... Because a- another aspect of the whole Booker-Triple H deal is that Booker T winning in the end doesn't necessarily justify the use of playing the race card, but at the very least, it's the heel getting his comeuppance and Booker T gets the big win and the title. Instead, he loses clean in the middle at Safeco Field. And if he wins that championship, uh, do you see like much of a different um, forecast for where Booker goes in that company? Because I, I, in 2003 on Raw, that championship was at the waist of Triple H. And it was at most, Booker's getting a four-week run with that. And then it's back around Hunter. Like, I don't think it's a career changing uh, moment. If Booker T wins that match, especially when who's showing up the next night, it's your new babyface project in Bill Goldberg, who would have, mm-hmm. I mean, Bill Goldberg, they couldn't get right. So I didn't sense that Booker T was going to be the babyface to break through and become the superstar. Had he won that night, it, I think it would have made the angle a bit more palatable to people. But at the same time, I don't think it's a, it's a game changer. Pardon the pun for Booker T. No, it wouldn't have made a grand difference in in his the state of his career where he would have ended up. But I definitely think, you know, if it did happen, if he did win, um, you might have at least seen it get mentioned in a documentary like this. You know, might have been the whole. (laughs) Then we'd have to we'd have to acknowledge it. That that was the key. It's at at the end of this. It's like, guys, Hunter's been the racist heel. He's got to go over why? Because we never want to acknowledge this on a Booker T retrospective uh, two decades from now. (laughs) Yes. yeah, it wouldn't have made it better, but um, it would have made it a little bit better, I guess. So that is the Booker T A&E biography. And now we go on to WWE Raw from Monday night, the go-home edition for WrestleMania Backlash. I feel like we, most of the passion in our conversation might have just taken place in that. Um, just like I don't a- see much of it happening for this edition of Raw, I have to say. Well, we will try and find um, some passion throughout this. We immediately started the show with the six-woman tag, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Charlotte Flair versus Asuka, Dana Brooke, and Mandy Rose. Reginald was involved and did a backflip as all six women get into the ring for a standoff when Alexa Bliss and her makeshift playground has been constructed on the stage, and there is Alexa with Lily stating that she is keeping her eye on someone. More to come. They got so, the heat. So this whole thing just like I guess lights off and then lights on. It it just it, uh, appeared. It That's vaporized. how playgrounds work. Yes. Got it. Okay. They got the heat on Mandy until Dana's tagged in. Baszler is with Dana Brooke when all of a sudden her knee gives out, and Baszler is left selling her knee as she gets hit by an Oscar shining wizard, and Oscar pins Baszler. Flair then lays out Oscar. 
And as Naya and Charlotte are tending to Baszler, Alexa laughs maniacally as Baszler is just selling the knee. So, way we have incorporated voodoo into the Alexa Bliss character now. I didn't even put together that that was what that spot was. Wow. Okay. Absolutely. Because I thought it was just Shayna doing the backbreaker onto the knee and then selling it afterwards. But um, I guess that makes perfect sense, doesn't it, in its own way. That Alexa, or Lily more specifically, who now has her own laugh. She's got her own laugh attached to it as well. She has caused... Shayna Baszler drew drew the short straw. Looks like Shayna is going to be the one that gets to feud with Alexa and Lily. Or Or maybe she was just her target tonight. You know, she might do this to everybody. Um, I have nothing good to say about this entire segment. Uh, the match was not good. I thought you had your usual awkwardness and lack of coordination from Nia Jax. Really nothing impressive or of note from the other competitors. And none of it really mattered anyway in ring because it was all the shenanigans that were, you know, focused in this match. Um, I, I did. Ridiculous. I did like I did like how they did the backstage segment, though, where Charlotte did confront Nia about the attack on her shoulder last year that took her out for months and why they're teaming together. It's a different Alexa. It's a different, different world now in the WWE. Well, it's good to see Nia and Charlotte Flair on the same page now. Uh, the New Day met with Riddle. Uh, Riddle has registered RK Bro as an official tag team. So they were unofficial. I guess did those wins don't count from the prior few weeks. I'll have to check the rankings. He suggests that they throw some bromados and compared Randy Orton to Squidward on SpongeBob SquarePants when he was hit by the tomatoes. Is this not a reference you were like fishing for last week? I made this exact reference, so hello WWE. Maybe I should uh make some Squidward. Squidward. Yeah, well I mean it's hardly um brilliant comparison it's uh, anyway uh it's about on par i would say with the, the ketchup joke we got at the end of this orton is right behind him as riddle is laughing about this and then gets caught ha 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 and orton th- says you know what i find funny ending careers killing legends kicking people in the head and setting things on fire so randy orton is now inheriting the voice of kane now that he's retired this is such a line that Kane would have had, like the deadpan monster playing off the goofball. Yeah, Kane was this exact guy, like in DX or, I don't know, against Team Hell No, or what else am I thinking of? Any of the Kane, uh, any of the Kane, um, you know, odd couple pairings. Um, and yeah, arsonists. Arsonists yeah, so we, just don't like to laugh. So we have dual Canes now. Dual Canes? What do you mean? Cocaine. Cocaine, okay. That can be their name, right? They come back. And then Riddle says, Randy, we'll catch up later. Get it? Catch up. That's pretty clever. Pretty good. Clever, yep. You know, I I they they do all this and again I, I just have to say like I We've had in uh segments like this with Riddle with the New Day that are completely insufferable. And so, again, I have to commend, like, the addition of Randy Orton into this um, stew that just ultimately just makes it palatable because I just can't wait for Randy to tear this dude's head off. Well, it's uh, they're making you wait for it. MVP meets up with Braun Strowman. Lashley 
puts or he says that Lashley thinks you're the strongest guy he's ever faced, and he proposes that if Drew were to get injured tonight, then it would just be one on one on Sunday. And Braun tells MVP, I really don't like you. So that's our drama for the night. Will Braun end up attacking Drew McIntyre to affect this match on Sunday? Damian Priest and Miz has been added to Sunday's pay-per-view. And Priest is with Adam Pierce. Miz and Morrison come in. And this all leads to a proposal by Damian Priest where he's going to face John Morrison in a rematch tonight. And the winner can choose the stipulation for Sunday. Miz is on the fence about this when Morrison accepts. So we're continu- continuing to tease tension between Morrison and Miz. I sense that, and I also sense that Morrison is doing a lot more babyface-friendly antics, you know, in, in st- segments like this. Certainly when he was wrestling his match against Priest, like, the man was very spectacular. Uh, but I thought he was really funny here. In fact, he definitely came across to me like perhaps the most likable guy in this sketch, and I even say that above Damian Priest. Jinder Mahal's back, and he has brought his his muscle. Veer, who is Rinku Singh... And Shanky, Dilshire Shanky, uh, who you would have seen on the uh, the Superstar Spectacular back in January. So they have taken one member of Indashir, uh, but not the other. Uh, Sarav is not part of this act. The guy who spoiled the Keith Lee Tuttle win. They've taken him out. That's right. That is right. I'm not saying that's the reason, but they he, he is also the guy who posted that. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, Rinku Singh, he's the one that the million dollar arm was was based off of the baseball movie. And yeah, so this is like the new uh, three man group that we've got with and, Shanky sort of portrayed as like the giant behind the team. Yes. Big tall one. So that takes us to Jinder Mahal and Jeff Hardy. This was on main event last week, which maybe it was a dry run for the raw per, the raw match. And uh, this was Jeff Hardy in. um a very uneventful role, but maybe that is where his role is these days. That is his role. Like to me, he's almost a like he is a reminder for a lot of the veterans out there past a certain age about the spot that you might find yourselves in when you sign with this company. Um, not everybody can get an edge or Goldberg push. So like a really simple match. Hardy was selling. Then he hit a double ax handle, removed the shirt. Uh, we got, um, screams.mp3 for the shirt coming off and then leaps into a jumping knee and Mahal hits the Coloss for the win in three minutes and 26 seconds. I felt we're right back to 2017. We really were. And I can definitely tell you that I have not missed these long, slow, headlocky Jinder Mahal matches. Wait, this was three and a half uh, minutes. <laughs> dude, it felt like, it felt, felt like a 30. Um, and it looks like they're heating him back up and oh, yeah. I would suggest maybe for Drew, you know, since it's like Drew's talked about it in interviews, it's, they're such good friends. So that seems to be what I would guess. Sonia Deville met with Charlotte Flair in the back and then Elias and Jackson Riker have another basket of tomatoes. AJ asks, what are we doing here? And AJ points out that he has shaved his beard. He now just has a goatee to be more aerodynamic. And then Omos uh, channeling Danny Hodge, only this wasn't an apple, but squeezed a tomato that he says, this will be our opponents. Yes. Impressed? Not really. It's like you'd have to go wash your hands after this. Like this is way more effort than it's worth. And is like, is this all that scary? Like a tomato. 
He should have had yeah. an apple. An apple is way more impressive, much True. less like pliers or something. But a or tomato. Or pineapple. Sure, pineapple. Yeah. Like crush, I guess, used to do oh, that. Yeah, that's right. He had the cans as well. What would be even more impressive? A bowling ball. He should do that. I'd give him both. He could use both hands for that. Eight-man tag. AJ, Omas, Elias, and Riker against New Day and RK Bro, the official RK Bro. Omos just comes out in like his uh, Mr. McAllister jacket from Home Alone 2 at the airport and then takes it off. The trench and, coat, you mean? Yeah. The the beige yeah. jacket. Hello, Mr. McAllister jacket. That, okay. That's that's what I'll always <laughs> think of with that colored jacket. And then Kevin mis- mistaking him for the other guy and ending up in New York. Omos comes in. His move is he takes the guy and he throws him into the corner. And he did this twice to Riddle in this match. He stares down Orton. That's the commercial break. We get the heat on Woods. Riddle's in. He hits a bro Derek on Elias, but Omos makes the save. And then Riddle gets thrown into the corner again. But this time, he gets onto the turnbuckle. Orton blind tags. And then Riddle leaps out of the corner. And Omos completely misses this guy. Riddle sells anyway. And for Omos, the world stood still. He's just standing there. He's trying to process what's going on. And then he finally goes after the New Day on the floor. Orton hits an RKO to Elias for the win in 12.08. But this uh, this was a bit of a mess at the end with Omos and Riddle. Unfortunately, it, it was another instance where he felt a little bit exposed. They've been very protective of Omos and have put him in very carefully crafted situations. Um, this one didn't really work out all that well. And beyond that, you know, just a pretty typical WWE TV match. New Day have this like goofy, new goofy spot where they're doing like a ring around the rosy onto AJ by splitting his legs and running around. Um, yeah. It's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. You like it? It was, it was awesome. Yeah. I loved it. Um, then we move so on. That, so so oh, then Orton, Orton RKO's the new day afterwards. Yes. And Riddle asks, how are we going to have friends when you keep doing stuff like this? So that was it. And maybe a tag match between the new day and RK bro with Riddle torn. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to keep the tweener edge on, onto Orton, I suppose. Riddle's reaction was much more like, oh, you always Randy. RKOing people. I mean, yeah. Randy's warned him about his character traits. I mean, he's lucky he didn't light anyone on fire. Sonia Deville was with Rhea Ripley and Asuka, and she was presented with an idea and liked it. It was an idea for Asuka and Ripley to resolve their issues by having a match. Ripley knows that this was Charlotte's idea. Asuka brings up, I've already wrestled once tonight, but I'll do it again because I'm ready for Rhea. A brilliant choice on her part. So we've got a match, another WrestleMania rematch tonight. Wade, did this feel special by now? No, not at all. Um, and it was completely. It was really no. It's there's nothing surprising, of course. But like until they got into the ring, I did not realize how sad it was. How I how little I cared about Rhea Ripley versus Oscar, which like a month ago felt like it was a relatively fresh matchup, and just seeing it put together like a segment before it happening, I just really didn't care. Lashley and MVP are interviewed, and MVP compares this rematch with Drew to a sequel with a foregone conclusion. Stay tuned for another hour and a half. And he is asked about the reports 
of a business proposition between MVP and Braun. Yes, these reports that just aired on television half an hour ago. MVP doesn't comment on business negotiations. Sheamus comes out. He brought up uh, nailing Mansoor and Umberto Carrill with brogue kicks. Then just took a shot at Adnan Burke saying he's out of his depth on commentary. And calls Mansoor and Carrill two great athletes but are not on his level. And Umberto is going to be the meme of the week. I was surprised there was no Mansoor at all on this Nothing. show. Unless he... Unless he was supposed to figure somehow into the finish that, you know, uh, clearly got changed. So, right. Yeah. I, uh, I guess that's a possibility. Yeah. That's a good point. And I would assume that he would probably step in. Like, I was, I, I, the fact that he was mentioned, I, I think we'll see him next week. So, Seamus and Umberto Carrillo, it was a non title match. And so, Seamus is controlling this for most of the way. He lifts Carrillo on the turnbuckle and. Carrillo turns this into a Hurricane Rana. And then the big spot is Carrillo going for a sunset bomb to the floor. And he launches over. And Sheamus just comes right down on Carrillo. Looked to be right on his knee. And Mm -hmm. it looked awful. Um, They're both selling. Carrillo looks to be in great pain. And Sheamus looks dazed from this as well. And the referee just waves it off. They call it like a double countout after nine minutes and uh, Carrillo then got to be uh, checked on uh, while Sheamus, he briefly got his arms up, but this was uh, this was the end of the match. And I think the, uh, the, the right call, like we always talk about, man, uh, the need to get away from this. We got to finish the match kind of thing. It's like, there's a problem. Boom. It's over. You know, I don't know if it was a choice or not for the camera to stay so closely to the situation, but like we got multiple re- replays of, of of the injury, and and as well, you could see in full view, Carrillo signaling to the doctor ringside, signaling, and even like seeing the referee finally getting notice that hey, something is actually wrong here. We have to end the match. So all of this kind of played out in real time, and I don't know if it was intentional or not. Something tells me it probably wasn't, but the fact that it was intentional and they just called this off, I don't see why you wouldn't do this all the time. Because injuries do happen in competition, and this ultimately just came across to me like sport. Yep, people get injured and they can't continue, and you have to end the match. It's obviously incredibly unfortunate, very unfortunate for Korea, who, after a long layoff from being on TV on Raw, has to you know suffer. Hopefully, nothing too serious, but it did not look good. Um, so hopefully he's okay. But as far as like you know being honest about these types of injuries on TV, like this was perfectly fine presentation considering the circumstances. Yeah, I I was given the impression that he seemed to be doing okay in the back. Um, I mean, you're always kind of hesitant, like with you know any kind of this. Like hopefully, like Tuesday, you get a better assessment of how he feels. And but it's. Uh, I at least heard from, from one person that it, it sounded like he was kind of like shaken up, but hopefully he's not going to miss any time uh, because this did look rough. And I, I would say just a larger issue is just Seamus is a really big guy to be taking a sunset bomb. And second was even if he had launched himself more, you're right there with the announce desk. So I wouldn't have even been doing it at this particular side uh, of the ring. It just seemed to be to me way more risk than reward when you're talking someone the the size of Sheamus to kind of leap off and take this. And this is not a spot we typically see Sheamus taking or, you know, guys of his size, um, especially with another, with that desk so close to it. 
it's hard for me to to comment on on, on that particular aspect. Um, I mean, could have gone perfectly. Um, tonight it didn't. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully Carrillo is uh, is okay. Um, the Lucha House Party. There was a feature here with uh, subtitles for Grand Metalik, uh, where they are always ready for a fight and they're always lucha lit. Always. Okay. For- for one thing, I we say it all the time, but yeah, we're really happy that subtitles are here. Okay, like, but to me, like that alone does not make this a good video. <laughs> I thought this video was so fucking lame. It was just two dudes in front of like a black curtain talking about being lucha lit. Very little style or creativity attached to this. It reeks of either a very rushed job or just somebody with like really outdated production. Um, I don't know technique creativity. They put so much more effort into these Eva Marie vi- vignettes than something like this, which is just kind of like thrown out there. Um, so I, I cannot suggest uh, this segment. Yeah, we got a replay of last week's Eva Marie spot. And then they played another one later in the show where she was doing a photo shoot and <laughs> saying, some people call me a supermodel. I like to think of myself as a super role model. Life isn't picture perfect. But anything is possible. So it seems like we're getting the uh, the insincere, um, motivational Eva Marie that is above everybody else and is going to instruct them of how to be better people like her. See, the use of the word role model, I mean, that's a Bailey thing, isn't it? It's a Rhea Ripley. Or sorry, it's a Britt Baker thing. But it's also a Bailey thing in the, the WWE, isn't it? Um. Yeah. Not that I'm suggesting that they're tying, you know, the the characters together because they're on different brands and they both seem to be heels. But, um, like, I wondered if that was considered or if it was just the ch- the wording choice. Yeah, I mean, the super role model—that's kind of like a, a catchy title to give her. Yeah, I guess so. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. The mega powers exploded on May tenth, two thousand and twenty-one. At the Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge blow off here. So Alexander has the pay dirt scouted and he avoids it several times and he hits a dragon screw in the ropes to work over the knee of Benjamin. Benjamin gets out of a heel hook countering to a sharpshooter and Alexander gets to the rope. He goes back to the knee. He hits a suicide dive, goes for another and Benjamin meets him with a step up knee off the floor. He goes for another pay dirt that gets countered, and then it's Alexander with the neuralizer. He taunts Shelton, and boom, gets hit with a T-bone suplex, and Shelton wins in 425. You know, even though I I don't for a second think like WWE themselves see this as any sort of significant program, um, I was invested in this because I knew that these two were probably looking at this as a very important match for their careers. They really don't have anything else going on. They're out of the hurt business right now. All they really have is each other. And so I was looking towards this to be not an amazing blow away match, but I was definitely enjoying what I got to see. Unfortunately, it was only four minutes. Um, and I can't really say like, I think I was expecting a bit more drama building up to the finish. To me, like the T-bone is not a very effective kind of like RKO explosive out of nowhere type of move. Um, nor is it really all that recognized as the Shelton Benjamin finisher. But something also tells me that, like, this might be a best of 12 situation that we're going to get every week. Yeah, it was it was almost like a, a T-bone, like, into a jackhammer almost, like, in, in midair. Yeah. Is he just, right. uh, anyway, right into variation a on it. So, Gulak 
confronts Angel Garza and asks him, do you have any respect for our profession? I thought that would have been the behind the scenes question that was asked when they got the Rose angle laid out to them. Gulak says, you embarrassed and humiliated me last week. And Garza says, next time I might shove this Rose down your throat. I thought he was going somewhere else when he said shoving it down. And anyway, um, this was where, where, where else could you shove it down? Well, it's gone down the back. It's got to go down the front, right? So, oh, wow. Anyway. See, see, I would have preferred the throat to what I had last week. So I don't think this is any sort of escalation of threat from Garza. Um, He's going to force him to eat the rose. Yeah, I would prefer that to what they did last week. Listen. I found this to be very unrealistic, John, and I, I have to criticize it for that reason. Because if somebody shoved a rose up my ass on national TV and I was a WWE wrestler, I don't think my first instinct would be try to confront them in a conversation backstage. I think Gulag should have just attacked this dude and should have shoved something up his ass. I think they they really should have went 50-50 with the sodomies this week. And Jesus. I thought it made Drew look very weak. Well, I mean, he was not one that was uh, out for out for revenge. Obviously, I mean, the man has the man has um, a tolerance for uh, a a heavy tolerance. I guess so. How's he going to do his powerpoints now? Can't sit down, probably standing desk. I'm sure that will be a question that eventually gets addressed. Rhea Ripley versus Oscar, non-title. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte Flair came out and joined the commentary team and informed us that Corey Graves is her father's favorite commentator. I buy it. Sure. Do you? Um, what are the options? Um, I mean, Ric Flair is not limited to just the USA Network, so I would think he, he could he could watch whatever wrestling he wants. Maybe he's... Um, well, are you saying on Fox there's a better choice? Uh, on TNT, on well, uh, Access TV. Exist. Doesn't exist. As Maybe long he's a Matt Stryker fan. I don't think any of those exist as long as he's collecting a check. Maybe, maybe he bought the Triller pay. He was at the Triller pay per view. Forget buying it. He was at the Triller pay per view. What uh, Snoop Dogg? You think would be his favorite? Um, well, it wasn't Oscar De La Hoya. <laughs> yeah. So Ripley is taken over until Oscar hits her with a sliding knee, goes for the Oscar lock, and gets thrown to the floor. She stares with Charlotte. And then Ripley comes, headbutts her. The Riptide gets stopped with a code breaker. And then Ripley gets into Charlotte's face. It's like everyone's got to go up to the commentator and just stare into their soul. So she's hit with a hip attack off the desk. Asuka lands a missile drop kick, only gets a two count. And then Ripley catches her in the corner, head kick, Riptide. And Ripley pins Asuka in 12:38. I'm just counting down the days until Asuka gets her big title match on Sunday after this one. Why is she even in this match? Let's eliminate the weak link. Um, why is she in the match? She lost at Mania. I mean, this was supposed to be a rematch originally. That's why. Okay, she's proven. She can't beat Rhea Ripley. So why are we even bothering with her on Sunday as a component to this match? Yeah. Well, the contract signed. Yeah, unfortunately. They didn't do a contract signing with these three yet. Uh, verbal contract. I oh, don't know, dude. Okay. 
Listen, considering all the pieces, I think it's a pretty cold feud. You know, the, the, the only I think it's a pretty cold pay per view way. <laughs> I it think is. just about for like Reigns and Cesaro, which I, I don't think is uh, like a home run by any stretch. I mean, that will be okay, a match people have interest in quality wise, but this show is pretty ice cold on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But as far as effort I can look at, I mean, it's only Charlotte and Sonia that has received any sort of real TV time to develop a story. We have nothing at all for Rhea Ripley nor Asuka. They really just kind of feel like bodies in the background of this Charlotte Sonia thing. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate. Kevin Patrick interviewed Drew. He's happy he laid out both Braun and Bobby with Claymores last week. He's going to beat Lashley tonight, unlike WrestleMania, and then become champion on Sunday. John Morrison and Damian Priest, stipulations at stake. Morrison got onto his back and took him out and then drilled Priest with a knee to the face. They go through the commercial break, and Priest and Miz have this, uh, they had this showdown on the floor before the break. Miz then drills Priest with a boot behind the ref's back. Priest Comes back, lights up Morrison with kicks, hits a spinning heel kick off the top for a two count. Uh, Just a a painful maneuver for him to be introducing and continuing. Hit the lights, is countered with a roll-up, but Miz is distracting the referee. So once again, Morrison has the visual, but Miz is screwing up. So Priest comes back, hits the lights for the win in 1256. Damian Priest wins, and guys, WrestleMania backlash, five days away. Priest, Miz, Lumberjack match. I can't tell you of many stipulations that make me less interested in a match, but I think Lumberjack is one of them. <laughs> like, out of all the stipulations that exist in the wrestling world, how they think that Lumberjack would be some sort of additional draw on a pay per view match. You could name anything. Like, you can name any stipulation. You could get the ownership of the Ms. and Mrs. brand. Give me anything on a poll. I'll take anything on a poll over Lumberjack match. Judy Bagwell. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm paying for that, for sure. Mr. Mizanin. Mrs. Dad on a poll. Sign me up. Yeah. Like... A Lumberjack match is something we see, like, on every other TV show. It's it's something they do just to get people on to, to, to the show. Like, just to show their parents that, hey, I'm on Raw tonight. You know, like, it's 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 not any sort of... it's. There's no finality to it. You're guaranteed a, a bunch of interference. I think it's a poor snip. This match, though... This match was, was interesting because you got the sense that they told John Morrison to go out there and just do... Cool moves. All that parkour shit that you've been working on in your backyard, just just pull it out here. Not all of it, I'll say, felt ready for TV. Like, a lot of it looked really messy. But I definitely get the sense they're, like, trying to make him a bit more fan-friendly. Certainly. I think they're going that direction. Actually, going back to the Booker T thing, like, thinking in, like, the WWE perspective of what they would want to showcase, I'm very surprised that they did not include the Bad Bunny stuff with Booker in that documentary as this, um, as this figure that has crossed over, um, with a very popular musician. Yeah. Well, we don't know what timeline, like the, the production might've concluded, but absolutely. Like as far as like a resurgence in his career goes, this is like one of the most main, maybe the most mainstream thing that he's been involved in. I think it's I, a, it's a, like a real notable thing. Like for a WWE documentary, that to me is easy 
content. I guess it's like, oh, Bad Bunny, but there was one night The Undertaker wouldn't do the Spinneroonie. That needs about <laughs> that was, four minutes. That was a funny scene. I mean, they even included that in the last ride, didn't they? So that we've seen cute. it. Yeah. So we we have seen it. But yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the producers of, of this one weren't really, didn't know how big of a deal Bad Bunny is. But like, if, if you know, I, I'm sure like if you ask plenty of producers and if they had the time, Bad Bunny would have been all over this thing. He should have been interviewed talking about Booker T. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who, who knows? It was just a, an interesting thing that I thought would have been a, a given to, you know, just kind of showcase Booker outside of wrestling. So Miz attacks Damian Priest after the skull-crushing finale is blocked and Miz runs away. And then we set up the Lumberjack match with Adam Pierce, where Priest said, bring talent from Raw, SmackDown, aliens, zombies, whatever. What if we get zombies and aliens on the floor on Sunday? We've had both those things in, in pro wrestling history. Yeah, haven't we? Who's a zombie? The... um. The first night of ECW on sci-fi. On sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. And like, is Max Moon an alien? In theory, who else yes. Is, who else is an alien? I mean, Statlander, I guess, is on the other show, but in the WWE. What's, what does Lily constitute? Not an alien. Supernatural being. Did they have an alien on ECW on sci-fi? That first night? Oh, no. The, the, the alien was what was suggested, and then they ended up with the zombie instead. Right. Because he really wants this match on ECW and sci-fi. Uh, it, it could have been... That should have been. been the stipulation. Only gimmicks from ECW. An ECW on sci-fi lumberjack match? Oh, man, that that make the match. All the ideas that didn't make it onto those first few weeks of ECW on sci-fi that they were fighting against. All right, and the the final one. It's our WrestleMania main event. Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre. Non-title. Uh, they actually had a very good match. This was just very late in the show. It becomes very difficult with your commercial break in the middle. That just kind of takes the air out of it too. Listen, th- yeah, this was a great match, but am I ever going to recommend it? Fuck no. Cause you know, the result is meaningless. It's going to end up in a DQ. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. So why waste your time? Drew made his comeback. He had a bunch of belly to bellies. The future shock is countered. Then there's a cross body that. Lashley hits, stopping a Claymore. The Hurt Lock gets fought off by Drew, and then he suplexes Drew, but Drew pops up, nails the Claymore. He has the match won. The champion is just laying there. Non-title, but nonetheless, he's laying there. Bronze music hits. Drew just, he's conflicted. Do I go for the pin, or do I listen to Strowman.mp3? He was just mesmerized by this... Roar! Accompanied by music. And then Braun appeared from behind, attacking Drew for the DQ in 1326. He gave about 5,000 power slams. He attacked Drew, then took Lashley and power slammed them through the barricade. Another power slam to Drew. And then yells, I'm the monster! And, t- and lays out Drew with the latest power slam. So it was Braun Strowman standing tall as Raw went off the air. Will this man be champion in five days? Tune in. WrestleMania Backlash Sunday. Yeah, now that we've had uh, the entire build concluded for this three-way, I think we can, you know, 
pretty much assess that it is about as generic of a build to a WWE three-way as you could have had every week. You do the singles match between this guy. Then you do the singles match between this guy and then another singles match. And the whole time you're asking Bobby Lashley, what what are you going to do if you lose the title? If you don't, you can't even, you might not even get pinned and you might lose the title. What What's your response? Drama. It, it's, it's just like, it was, it's about as like, by the numbers of a three-way build as you can get. And, um, you know, we contrast this to like Daniel Bryan and Edge and Roman Reigns, which was another three-way. But I felt like in those ones, you had tremendous promos from each guy and you had enough character motivation from each guy to make it compelling. It was interesting to actually see what the result of that one was going to be because you couldn't predict who it was going to be. Now, this one, you, I mean, it could be Drew, it could be Lashley, but does either really change that much, change anything? You know? Like, does it, anyway. Um, Your argument is that this is not as compelling as the three-way with Reigns, Brian, and Edge, and I am going to agree with you. Yeah, well, uh, I think it could have been. You know, there's plenty of story to be told. All I'm asking is, like, some, some, some difference here. Like, what does a win for Bobby Lashley mean? What does a win for Drew McIntyre mean? In this situation, I'm not even going to consider Braun Strowman because I don't think there's a chance. But like, what 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 would be achieved, you know, by Bobby Lashley winning? What would be achieved by Drew McIntyre winning the thing back? Besides just adding another number to his title reign, I'm not expecting them to just completely flip the tone of this show. But this is like, I would even say like SmackDown does such a better job than this, and Raw it's almost completely. There's none of this, and that is any of these characters with an actual grounded connection to reality story. What am I rooting for Drew McIntyre for on Sunday? Other than just the base the base sum- summary, I'm trying to win the title because I had it before. That's about what we have. Why does Braun Strowman want to win? Why does Bobby Lashley want to hold on to this? What is... What, so, why am I so, rooting for Riddle? Many of these answers are very obvious. Like, of course Bobby Lashley would want to win. Of course MVP would want to hold the hold on to the belt for his thriving, quote-unquote, hurt business, right? But these things, I, I, I think, really deserve to be vocalized. And often, like, if it's in a great, like, Grand Slam go-home promo, man, we know these guys are capable of it. We saw it on the WrestleMania, like, pre-show, you know, during that rain delay. Like, this should have been the show where they just, like, did that. Didn't we talk about, like, the... I hate to throw in, like, the comparisons to AEW again, but the parlay. What was that? It was just, like, promos talking about what I'm going to do to you, why I want to win. And at no point, they spoke a lot. Drew talked on this. MVP talked on this. Braun talked on this. But we really had, like, nothing on the level that made me feel excited about the match. Like, imagine, and there was a lot of criticism about the finish of Lashley Drew and just beating Drew like that. Well, imagine if we embraced this and Drew, our f- I was the champion for the better part of a year where I had no fans and I had that opportunity and I failed in front of all of our fans and it's destroying mm. me. 
It yeah. shattered me to lose at WrestleMania after one year ago. I had my biggest achievement and I had no one to celebrate with other than looking into a camera at these people who I finally got to see in person. And I failed because of this man. And for the first time, I'm doubting if I can beat him. Boom. That's, that's excellent, John. And I actually think we're going to get that on Raw Talk. Because the dude's going to be writing it himself, and he'll actually get to speak for himself. Uh, and it's just a shame that three hours of TV time wouldn't have gotten you something close to, you know, that type of... Every one of these problem. programs on Sunday, you can inject something, and it doesn't require hours of thought. It's what what is something that is going to grab the viewer to just grab their attention of, wow, that's really interesting. They are wrestling for something. The Bianca Belair, that... The the Chronicle, the whatever, the 365 they aired on her. It was just like, by the end of it, it was like all about these struggles she's gone through. And then the final minute was about why winning the Royal Rumble would be very important to her. And suddenly she had all the momentum in the world after being largely forgotten about for since her call up where she had struggled to find any kind of identity on on the main programs. And then suddenly this one special that told her story and attached it to a match you're suddenly rooting for this woman, and it was a big deal when she won. They and all these people have these interesting stories and these different ways you can go, and I'm not expecting this top to bottom, but a few key people. You for your need- main events, absolutely. And especially when you just lined out, like, they already created the story for Drew's redemption at WrestleMania with the result. And instead, we just had, like, segment after segment of... Are you concerned that you might get pinned and lose the cha- uh, you might not get pinned and lose the championship in a three way? Like that's just the same. The answer go-to. should be no, because me, the fan, if Drew loses on Sunday, okay, he's gonna have a million more opportunities at this. He is not. What does a loss mean, really? He lost last month at WrestleMania, and he's fighting again for it. So no, I don't really care if you lose this match. You haven't told me why it's so awful because I watched this and I don't see many consequences if you lose matches. Asuka lost tonight. She's wrestling for the title on Sunday. What's so wrong with a loss? Totally. And speaking of consequences, I really thought like that's where that that's what was going to happen with the priest Miz stipulation. Like why else would you demand a stipulation unless it was for, for some sort of finality attached to the match, right? Like what were I thought we were gonna get like I don't know fuck like cage match you know something just to like end the feud instead a lumberjack match pretty much guarantees that this is a chapter that you could probably skip because it's going to be a feud that'll be continuing. That was raw. It was something, and that was rewind to raw. So thank you to everybody. Hey, feedback. Tuning in. Oh, jeez. I was all ready to wrap up. You're right. We have feedback. So tonight, on a scale of 1 to 10, this show registered a 3.44. Yeah, man. Like, And I really don't want people to feel like we're just dogging WWE here because SmackDown has been good. SmackDown has been consistent. It's been good. Raw has been shit. It's been consistently shit for many, many weeks. It's the only show I can say I, I don't enjoy most weeks. It's not the case for any other wrestling show. Yeah. 
All right, let's go to Peter Forsberg, and I'll start off, John. He says, another complete joke of the show, although I will admit I fast-forwarded through most of it. Rhea is so boring to me. She seems like a complete afterthought as a champ. I hated the Alexa Bliss segment as well. Why on earth wouldn't Drew just pin Lashley when he heard Braun's music? He still had plenty of... Yeah. Um, well, it's it's like an oncoming car. It's like, you know, you can't think straight when you see, like, oh, man. Music, pyro, like... Lights. He says uh, it makes the top baby face seem like a dummy. Good thing it's a meaningless match like all of the show. It was so obvious the whole time Braun was going to interfere. Great build for the feud. Sorry for the negativity. I really want to enjoy wrestling weekly wrestling like I do on Wednesdays. I'm so glad you watch the show. Okay. John, who do you have this weekend? Chandler or the Bronx? Well, uh, Thursday, I'm going to do a preview show. So maybe I'll, I'll go over uh, some picks on, on Thursday. So I'll go through through the card. Alexander from Portland writes, Tonight's show moved fast, but there isn't much else I liked. Oscar got the pin in the tag match, but felt like a complete afterthought after being blindsided by Charlotte. Rhea and Asuka can't have a normal one-on-one match because both are too easily distracted by Charlotte on commentary. Drew McIntyre might have had his match won, but was distracted by Braun Strowman's theme. Reginald provided a distraction. Miz ran in interference. Is it too much to ask for a good decisive wrestling match in a three-hour show? Jeff Hardy feels so underutilized. Here's hoping he gets a chance to shine at Money in the Bank. My silver lining is Shelton Benjamin getting his first singles match, first singles win on Raw since August 2020. Four out of ten. Which show do you feel Raw did a better job building up? WrestleMania or WrestleMania Backlash? WrestleMania. I'll I'll certainly say WrestleMania by a significant portion. Yes. Kate says, the words of Stanley from the office seem appropriate right now. The things you say, your actions, your methods, and style. Everything you do, I would do it the opposite way. And the more I've gotten to know you, the less I've come to respect you. Sorry, that wasn't a very good Stanley. Can't really do a Stanley. I'm not saying I would book a weekly three-hour show, but if I had to, I know I'd do almost everything differently. Priest has lost a lot of his momentum. The singles title feel like a mess because of the repetitiveness and screwy endings. None of the characters are are very well developed and you need at least a couple of strong characters to get people invested. The most shocking thing to me is that this isn't even the worst that Raw has been in the last few weeks. Priest Morrison was good, the eight-man tag was pretty fun, and Drew and Lashley were doing fine until the interference and disqualification. The fault is rarely with the actual wrestling, and you would think that would make for a good wrestling show. I really hope Humberto Carrillo isn't too badly hurt. All right, and Jay from Colorado is our last one here. I don't watch the WWE much anymore. Occasionally, I'll catch some stuff from SmackDown, but almost never Raw. Tonight, I had the show on in the background while I did housework. It somehow made the housework worse. I listen to your recaps every week, so I'm caught up on the product. I really want Raw to be better. I want it to be a must-see show every week. I want to care about the competitors and the stories. I haven't in a long time, and I still see no reason to come back. So thank you both for sacrificing your time to recap Raw so the rest of us don't suffer. Hope Umberto is okay. There you go. Housework won out over Raw tonight with Jay in Colorado. We're not trying to do a service, everybody. Like, this is us. I mean, we, we're committed to doing this, like, but we, we want the show to be good like everybody else. Um, yeah, anyway. I, nobody likes being negative. Like, I certainly don't like it. You know, I'm ready for, like, the storm of backlash from, like, WWE Defenders saying, oh, you guys don't like anything. Of course, why would I subject myself to that? But I'm here to tell the truth about what I watch. And, and it's just not a good show. I'm sorry. All right. 
Well, that's that's fine. All all criticism can be sent to I am John Pollock on Twitter. You can send me you can send me all, all your criticism. I don't know how much there is out there, to be quite honest. I don't think uh, we are one, hardly yeah. outliers uh, consistently. I think Raw, it is in a significant rut. And I think everyone wants to just see some uh, some more life injected into the show. Uh, it's very, you know, the three hours is the three hours. But um, as I tweeted tonight, this is our 459th week in a row of three-hour Raws. So the format is not the, the be-all, end-all problem. It's It goes further than that. You can still put together... Um, 459 weeks, that's like coming up on like nine years, right? Yes. Holy shit, are you kidding me? A decade, of three, a decade of three-hour Raws? Oh yeah, we'll, we'll be at nine years uh, in <laughs> mid-July. What is going on? Wow. Did you that think it would last shocking. this long when they moved to three? Oh man, no, I didn't. I really didn't. Especially you know what the, like once you saw the quality. Yeah. You know what the ultimate waving of the magic wand moment would be for Nick Khan is in the next rights deals to get your increase on Raw and negotiate it at two hours. <laughs> That's not happening. Nick, I don't think Nick Khan call, call, cares about the quality of the show. It's not he, that, but it is uh, – no, but what he does care about is the performance. And routinely, if you were to take the 8 to 10 p.m. hours of Raw, it significantly performs better if you eliminate the weak hour. And second was, you know, when Fox was like rumored to be like in the mix talking about Raw, you have to remember if you get some other com- uh, some other networks negotiating – some of them, if it were network, for instance, like like a Fox, for instance, they can't accommodate three hours because they have affiliates with news. And mm-hmm. there would be others that might have existing uh, programming that they would not be able to accommodate three hours. USA can, and USA obviously wants the three hours. Uh, I am sure WWE, they love what comes with the third hour. I don't think they have any desire to be producing three hours every Monday night if they could have such an advantageous deal. It would only the only situation would be what you lined out that where I could see them doing that is if they struck a deal with a network for just as much money, but they specifically demand only two. Because um, if it's a cable network like a USA, I mean, they love that that third hour still performs well. The third hour is still right at the top with hours one and two. Every week. So you're right. And like a cable network, like they're even at that number, that that's a good number by today's standards. I would almost suggest that you might be more likely to see SmackDown, perhaps if the Fox thing doesn't continue, move to a network and that getting its own third hour than Raw shortening two hours. Because right now it's all about how quantity over quality. I mean, it has been for a long time. Well, on that note... We will sign off. <laughs> That's a scary thought as Way leaves us with the prospect of no three hour smackdowns, which uh that is not a crazy premonition either. Three hour NXT. I mean, you know, AEW is probably going to be in the same game. I mean, I don't know if they'll do a three hour dynamite, but they're certainly going to be adding a whole lot more if they can. That's right. So Coming up this week, folks, uh, Sean Waltman on Tuesday. Up next will be up uh Tuesday night. They're live on their Twitch channel at Twitch.tv slash UpNextPodcast, 10.15 Eastern on Tuesday night, and then the podcast available on the UpNext feed immediately after. And then Way and I, we are back live for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Patrons Wednesday night, 10.15 Eastern, after AEW Dynamite, Moxley versus Nagata.
And John Pollock will be talking to Sean Waltman tomorrow, so watch for that on your podcast feeds as well as youtube.com slash postwrestling. And that is it. Good night.